Hi, this is singer-songwriter Elizabeth Edwards. Welcome to Giving Voice to Recovery, a place we share ideas and experience for the purpose of inspiring you on your recovery journey. I am so glad you've joined me for this series of conversations with my dear friend, Christina Wanslanak. You may know Christina from her book, The Lost Years, her work on TLC's groundbreaking show, Addicted, or her television docuseries, Codependent, which premiered on Lifetime and A&E. Christina is credited with helping thousands of addicts and their families through her work as an international interventionist and now joins me in a series of conversations conversations about life, recovery, and coffee. Welcome to Coffee with Christina. Um, You and I are always trying to hook up and we're both super busy, creative ladies doing our life in the work. And um, so this gives me like a regular excuse to hang out with you. (laughs) So I know I'm I'm super excited about it. So thank you for (laughs) for having me I know it's so funny because the minute I think we met each other we just went oh my god like minds like hearts just coming from a lot of the same places yeah and um, recognizing that there's a lot of people in the world that um, really I think my opinion need to hear from people like us moms family members recovered people ourselves to know that people can and do recover. That is probably one of my biggest missions in life is to really kind of help combat stigma around addiction and recovery. Um, As a person in long-term recovery, um, I've respected your recovery for a long time and I respect the work that you do with other people. So um, coffee with Christina. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. So happy to be uh, <laughs> coffee drinking fools over here. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so um, my vision for this chat on a regular ongoing basis is for us to just kind of share some of the things that are coming up for us as recovered women and how to, um, you know, like, how are we doing life on life's terms? I mean, we're all coming out of COVID right now, trying to kind of figure that all out. Um, Something that everyone's dealing with, but I think it, you know, COVID caused a lot of break in people's, especially for people in early recovery. And it shows in the numbers, you know, how many people relapsed and how many um, overdose deaths there were this year. There was a lot of evidence that these communities of early recovery and people struggling to grasp recovery um, were probably more affected than even some people in long-term recovery. And as a person, I've struggled with the isolation and also reintegrating back into in-person meetings after being vaccinated. So how are you doing all that? And what are you hearing? So COVID, as we know, is, you know, what I know about addiction is, you know, the greatest medication for any human suffering really is community and connection, truth be told. Mm -hmm. So without that community and connection, people were dying alone in their, in their homes, in their rooms. And, 
people uh, trying to get sober, incredibly difficult without that connection to, to meetings and in-person meetings, because without that, without that community, people don't stay sober. That's the truth of it. Common denominator of long-term recovery, no matter where you find that support, right? Whether it's 12 step rooms or refuge recovery or Dharma punks or, you know, wherever it is, you gotta find like-minded people, right? Yoga, Hinduism, I have my clients find community in all sorts, mm-hmm. you know, Catholicism, Judaism, wherever you find it, it's so important. So when that was cut off, it's like a lifeline, truly, like an oxygen tank just cut in half and watching people die. It was tragic. It was tragic. And as a woman in long-term recovery, personally, 28 years, I got sober in, I personally got sober in AA. And I went to meetings, for example, in the early part of my recovery every day, if not twice, if not three times a day for, I went to a meeting every day for certain for seven years. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what I would have done, you know, without it. And so even as a woman in long-term recovery, it was incredibly difficult to be disconnected. Um, I learned a lot about Zoom, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, I took a lot of hikes, you know, six feet apart with friends and family. I think, I don't know, it was really difficult. I, I never had a time in my recovery, as neither of us have, I'm sure, where there was not access personally to, to that community. And then personally, yeah, it was, it was hard. You know, in hindsight now, seems like COVID's been seven years long. You know? <laughs> it was hard. And, and then, you know, I also, I worked the whole time. I did interventions, sometimes via Zoom, oddly. I did intervention, a lot of them outside. Uh, and then I also came to work at my sober living because it was on lockdown. And um, I came in masked and protected, but it just couldn't abandon the 18 people that I have here on yeah. site. So Maybe that helped me too, that although it wasn't the type of personal connection I used to fill myself, I don't consider, you know, my work, like my personal recovery, Mm -hmm. I don't consider my work service necessarily, right? I I think service is the art of self-sacrifice, but it was great to be around people and noise and community so I feel really fortunate for that and personal or professionally what I see in my office now I watch people crawl into my office these days as if they're coming home from war right it's been spiritual warfare for for people some of them have lost everything everything relationships careers money their homes it's so tragic I, there's so much in what you just said that I <laughs> I know it was a lot <laughs> no, that, no it, was, it was I was like you're you're like preaching to the choir here because I was like oh my god the walking helped me because I you know I had um in addition to songwriting I have always been fascinated with emotional sobriety and a very dear friend of mine another woman in long-term recovery and I had started doing workshops right before Um, Because I love language and it's all about, you know, the use of language and recovery and how we can better talk to ourselves. So we had just launched this um, project. And so I had the booking set up going forward with that and they were all in person and 
you know, and so I had to move everything, including musical performances, which I didn't do a lot of online because I don't think it translates as well. Did a few of them. But for me, it was like my whole world just stopped because I what I I tend to go places and speak or sing or give a workshop or be involved in, you know, kind of a face to face hands on thing. So it was like, but what it did after I kind of got over the, you know, the pity pot, I, I kind of went there. Mm-hmm. And I, I know to not stay there, but I still have to go there, you know, to kind of find out what I need to do instead. And um, walking was one of them because the gym is mm-hmm. important to me. You know, the weight came on, I had to take that back off, still working at that a little bit. But a lot of the things everybody else is going through. And then, you know, all the unrest between the way people felt about it. It's like, I didn't want to get involved in that conversation. I respect people. I, I want them to you know, there's opinions out there. And it's like, oh, it seemed like a big fight. And I thought this is just a crazy time. And so one of the real joys I thought that came out of this was to start, you know, I'd had the idea to start this podcast a while ago. And I'd had a bunch of, you know, hurdles in the very beginning that kind of took me off my rails. And so when this this shutdown happened, it allowed me to Mm. focus on getting this off the ground. And so I'm super excited about that. And I'm super excited that you'll be joining me on a regular basis with our cups of coffee. I'm calling it coffee with Christina, which is way fun. So we can talk about what challenges we face as, as women in long-term recovery, mothers, daughters, family members, and then also business women and people working with others who, um, are looking for recovery and, and just your take on stuff. So super excited about that. Um, what did you, did you find any new tools in the, did you develop any new tools for your, your own personal toolbox during the COVID year and a half, two years here? Has there been new things that you've learned about yourself that you want to share? Well, before, let's see, learned about myself, you know, what, what I, you know, it's so interesting, and I, I'm not quite sure how to articulate this, but I've been sober 28 years. And sometimes, you know, and it's interesting, right? In the beginning, sobriety's it's, it's not easy, but it's relatively simple. At least when I got sober, AA was, you know, very simple. You just didn't drink, you didn't use, and you go to meetings, mm-hmm. get a sponsor with this. And I, you know, it's interesting that with all my years sober, sometimes I have these, right? I mean, the truth is, if you're blessed enough to be sober long enough, life is going to happen. And every time I come up, well, sometimes when I've come up against profound and difficult times in my sobriety, it's amazing to me what what I see is how quickly I resort to this thought that the the basic principles of self-care will not apply because my problems are far too complicated today. So it's interesting how I I can go there pretty quickly. Like when my husband suicided or when this pandemic hit, I just, I I was thinking to myself, well, the simplicity of self-care, which is for me, you know, prayer, exercise, connection, like I said, uh, working with others, you know, being of service in, in the form of self-sacrifice, like none of that's going to work for me today. Like none of that's <laughs> going to help uh, losing a husband to suicide when my life was annihilated or the pandemic and, and all access to people, places, right. And things I suppose was severed. 
severed. It's, it's what I, and that's, that's what I, that's like my default. Yeah. And so what I learned in the, in the, in the COVID, I always laugh when people call it that. What I learned in the, in the pandemic, because it forced me to go back to those simple things because I didn't have access to other things, right? Mm-hmm. Like therapists were offline. I mean, people finally got a, a hold of zoom or whatever. AA meetings were absent until of course, you know, we got a, figured out how to do things online yeah so i don't know it forced me to go back to those total simple things where i, I didn't drink i didn't use you know i person you know personally got on my knees every day right i reached out like old school mm-hmm. right to people not like texting but like <laughs> like the phone <laughs> right like reached out to my front row right like those front row of women that have me no matter what reach out to the front row like I don't know. If, and I guess if nothing else, that's what I came through. But it's so interesting that the simplicity that got me sober is the same simplicity that keeps me sober. Yeah. And I, I guess that was a really great lesson. Once again, I was taught that after my husband died. And I was taught that again through pandemic. So I don't know if that answers your question. But I oh. think um, I oh, think yeah. that's a great thing that I was reminded of. I think the toolbox, you know, we talked about the toolbox and, and recovery circles, it, and I'm sure they have another, maybe they have another word for it. And some of the others, I'm a 12 step recovery person. And I always say, I belong to more than one program. I'm overqualified, <laughs> but it was, it was like staying in touch with people who like you're what you're calling your front row, which I love that term. Actually, that's a great term. Yeah. I mean, I have a picture of myself and a couple of my front row um, gals. And we were on the ferry from, uh, Vallejo over to San Francisco. I live in the East Bay. We went over to San Francisco. We're masked up the, the line, the, you know, the tape that they cross the ferries off. Like you can only sit one person every 20 Mm -hmm. feet type of thing, but we went straight up to the top and I have this video of us totally mass. I mean, you couldn't recognize sunglasses, hats, and we're going over to San Francisco. I can't remember. I think it was to celebrate. Um, I actually just um, had a sobriety birthday. Um, so that was pretty crazy. 30, 30, uh, God, is it 35 years. 30 That's days. amazing. I know. Crazy. So um, I have to check that. It's like, Oh, that's so crazy. That is, you know, how right. I know. I just celebrated 28 years and it's amazing considering I didn't, I didn't go to recovery to get sober. I mean, I didn't go to, to live sober. Oh, me either. I was 25 years old. I was a Chico state student. I, my look good still looked really good. And I was like, Oh, this is really great for these people. I can totally see why they need this. And the person I went with, Cause you know, I got a lot, I, I I'm always help. I'm one of those helper. Right. You were getting of, someone else sober. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so a year later I came back and yeah, this is for me. So yeah. but that that's part of my story, but, but the tools, I actually increased my, um, I, after feeling sorry for myself, um, getting angry and, you know, I was the crazy woman talking to the TV, telling everybody, you know, what they should be doing, expressing my opinions that nobody wants to hear. And, about things that, you know, we all have to figure out. And I was like, this is, um, I've got to stop doing this and I need to get back to basics. So same thing. I'm not, uh, my, I was really super agnostic when I 
got sober. I, I had a really hard time with anything like prayer or anything like that. But over the years, I had learned how important that spiritual connection is. And I had become a total seeker throughout my life. And I, I like love to learn about other people's um, religious beliefs, their not just religion, but spiritual beliefs, because I really believe it's all about a spiritual experience. For me, that's what got me sober is that real shift, that real identity change inside so important. Um, that doesn't happen from the outside. in. I believe that really happens from the inside and it comes out. And that's what happened for me. And so I had to get back to my basics. And one of the things I really did really benefited from it. I have a belief that I gained through my years of recovery. And that is um, what's ask a better question. And you'll get a better answer. If you keep asking really dumb questions, bad questions, questions that are going to give me really negative answers, I'm going to still have that same life. So instead of saying, why does this always happen to me? Or, um, you know, why, why me basically it's a big pity pot question. I started asking a long time ago and I brought this big time into this time frame. What's good about this? Because if I can find that one good thing, I can get myself out of that thinking. Mm-hmm. Gratitude's so powerful. So important. Mm-hmm. It's most, I think most sincere form of prayer. And so that became my practice. And so I, I got into journaling, I got into, and I'm, I'm like full on fire again around all of that. So really looking at the way I talk to myself. You know, I so appreciate that you mentioned the spiritual process, Elizabeth, because when I got sober, I didn't believe in God. And I don't know if I do or don't, you know, I, I think it's a term I use just simply put but I do believe in spiritual connection. I believe that, you know, and I, I believe that I believe in, in living a life of service. I, I, I wake up every day and ask myself, how can I be of service mm-hmm. and do my best to interact in kind and loving and respectful ways. Certainly don't do that perfectly, but I, you know, I know today I'm no more important or less important than the person next to me. And I, I believe in, I, I believe in doing good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Many, many years ago, a woman that I respect in so much, she said, you know, when I was telling her my thoughts on God and she was like, I don't, I don't care. I, I don't care what your thoughts are on God. She said, you know what, Christina, just go out and do good in the world, right? Go do good in the world and see what happens. That's spirituality. So I so appreciate you saying that. And the other thing I learned about the 12 steps or the, my journey of recovery, right? Where I found my recovery in, in, um, the 12 step rooms. And by the way, the cool thing about being sober forever, right. And a spiritual journey is I don't think there isn't any 12 step room. I haven't visited, uh, you know, Hinduism and, um, you know, Buddhism and, and all that's the journey, right. That I get to try all things, all different coats. Right. Yeah. I feel like it's like trying on these spiritual coats and it's like, wow, that feels good. And that's, that works or that doesn't. But I, what I also realized, I, I thought I was on a mission or a journey somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like these steps were going to take me somewhere. And you know what I realized is it was never about going somewhere, but the journey was home, right? The journey was home and healing myself and coming to terms with who I am so that I can be of better better benefit to the world. And so when I got in the pandemic, that was the other thing that um, I realized, right? Like I all, 
what I've learned is that I have to find God in every situation. Or in other words, I have to find the good in every situation, including my husband's suicide. And that took a long time. I went into spiritual warfare for three years, searching desperately for the good, right? Like I have to find the good or I succumb. And I, you know, my husband's suicide taught me that in pandemic too, yeah? That I had to find the good in this or I was gonna succumb to it, mm -hmm. right? And the good sometimes at the end of the day is, right? Like I, I can't say there's good in my husband's suicide per se, but at the, at the bottom of the wreckage, what I found was an experience, right? An experience that I could use to serve others and to benefit the world, right? My little corner of the world that I could use his suicide to maybe save a life, right? That's the good. And with the pandemic, right? Searching for, for the good, which for me came down to simply connection, right? Truth is because we didn't have anything else, right? And like calling people. If, if you knew how socially awkward I was, like being around people is not my strong suit. <laughs> you know, it's not my strong suit, but I found myself thirsty for connection, right? And I figure if I was thirsty for connection, <laughs> people were dying for it. Yeah. So it taught me, I don't know if that makes sense, but searching for the good. Yeah. Using good that, that, you know, that kind the cool thing, not the cool thing, but the amazing thing about the pandemic is that it's a collective trauma. Yeah. Like we okay. were all in it together. So that was cool. Like in the sense of even walking down the street or on a hike, because I was desperate like you to just, be outside, even like strangers, like, hey, right? Like I see you, right? Mm -hmm. I can't stand next to you, I can't touch you, but I see you, yeah? Like that was the other thing that the pandemic taught me now that I'm thinking about it, right? I don't think I've ever looked at people in the eyes more than during this pandemic. And that's the other thing I learned, yeah? Is that I can see people, but I don't know if I ever really saw them, yeah? And I, I love that maybe about the pandemic, Sorry, it's getting me excited, but, <laughs> and, and now even, you know, in my work, honestly, like it's taught me to be more present. Yeah, like it's taught me to be more present because I realized how, what a large percentage of me that wasn't and the pandemic, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it made you like connect, it made you connect instantly and quickly like passers-by right so and too it gives the value of those connections and and the ones you know and as a person who'd been established in their recovery you and I probably had similar experiences we had developed that front audience of people plus we had come to that place probably I'm guessing I'm doing a mind read on you but I suspect that like myself at early recovery, I had a hard time being alone with myself for any length of time. I did not like my right. company. Right. So, you know, I was super grateful that I had gotten, okay. I'd gotten pretty good with my own company by that time. Um, my thing was I had to stay out of wanting to stay there. I get very creative when I'm by myself for long periods of time. So I can get totally lost in flow. I mean, I've almost burnt my house down like three times trying to cook while I'm writing, but that doesn't work. So I stopped cooking. But anyway, <laughs> that's that's actually true. Because <laughs> I don't do jokes, but that's actually true. I, I, I don't cook very much. My 
my husband's great about it, but, um, but the point is that what you're making is like, when I'm out walking, it was like, I could see in other people's eyes, people mm-hmm. I would, never would have probably looked at in the same way. It's kind of saying the same thing with eye contact is, wow, exactly. this is a really hard thing that exactly. everybody's going through. I think too, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I kind of thought, wow, you know, people who are recovered, people who've recovered from such a hard problem, alcoholism, drug addiction, any kind of self-destructive addiction is self-destructive by its very nature. And when you've overcome that, I, like, I don't know about you, but I'm super good at, like, I can deal with crisis, but long-term stuff. Whoa. I can do quick crisis. Yeah. Really super good in a pinch. I can just come but the long-term ongoing thing started to be, that's where, and, and so when you look at what, you know, I'm like seeing these statistics about people, um, how many overdose deaths, I mean, we lost a lot of people that probably, I mean, we're losing a lot of people to overdose anyway, with especially the opioid epidemic. And we, in the suicides, we never really know how many of those are drug related. That's a very hard number to get. But when you think about the lives lost during this time, it's just, um, we have a lot of recovery to do with families. We have a lot of um, outreach to do, and it's going to depend on the people, I think, who, like us, who have benefited from years of long-term stable sobriety. It's like, how do we take that to the people who, you know, relapsed many times? I mean, I know you heard about them. I heard about them. I, I know you hear about them all the time because you work in that side of it. But it's just tragic to see that. What do we do? Yeah. It, well, you know, it's interesting. It's a good question because, you know, what I know about my work, you know, now that people are coming in more and more is it's so heavy these days, Elizabeth. It's like this collective grief mm-hmm. and the work is so heavy and people are so sad and tired and depleted and like I said, men and women, families that have lost everything, children to addiction, certainly, but also COVID. Yeah. You know, I had a family in here that lost three family members to COVID in a matter of like six hours, like that one of those stories, mm-hmm. ha- losing careers and lifetime of savings. And oh, makes me emotional. It's just, it's incredibly heavy work. The other thing I realize, it's interesting, and it's interesting for healthcare providers in all sorts, is because this is a collective trauma, yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting to be a healer mm-hmm. of a trauma that is shared. So generally, right, healers teach and they guide and educate and and inspire. Heal. Yeah, exactly. And, and inspire. But it's an interesting time when the healers are suffering, right? Like the what teachers. Yeah. Ex- right, exactly. So I, I felt like I should do a study or I wanted to research how the world recovered from other pandemics because um, like, what do we do when the healers are in, in the game too, right? The healers are in the fight too. It becomes this equal struggle and trauma. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm articulating that well, but that's what I really, I think you're bringing up a super good point. And I think, I think it's like this, this is just kind of what I'm taking from what you're saying. I, I believe that the toolbox that we have as recovered people from addiction 
I believe that toolbox can absolutely be applied to a lot of other places. Whenever somebody, regardless of what the, the challenge is, if it's, you know, um, grief from loss, from any kind of loss, a lot of loss, that's what we're dealing with. Loss and change. Those are two really hard things. All human beings, they want change on their terms. We want, we loss is hard even when it's, even when you want the change that's going to bring the loss, that's even hard. But when it's, you don't want the change that's bringing the loss and you can't not, and, it, and it's going to happen anyway, how, you know, as recovered people, we've had to overcome a lot of things. I think that can really, um, the light in your office is re- putting a ray on you. You look like an angel, my dear friend. Just want oh, to tell you that you are an angel. You're, right. you're an angel. You. In, you're an angel in my world. <laughs> it is so pretty. You're Isn't right. that pretty? Yeah. yeah, I love that. Well, but, I see if so anyone I, posted a question. Oh, sorry. Go on. Well, I, I think that we can take. You know, hope. The principles of the twelve steps are so powerful when you actually think about them. The the principle of the first step being um, the honesty and um, acceptance. And the second step came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So that is the principle of hope. And the principles are what stand through time. I think hope is an underutilized concept in the world itself. It's, it's easy to cheapen hope and call people who provide hope as like a Pollyanna kind of person it's easier to focus on the crisis the pain you know it's like clickbait on you know people get paid to focus on the crisis and the pain and hope is um underrated in the power that hope and hope comes from example not just words it comes from example it comes from people who have overcome things we love the heroes in the world that overcome challenge but people I think there's not enough people talking about the fact that we do recover. We do overcome grief. I mean, you lost your husband to suicide. I lost a brother to suicide. Um, we've all, if you've been in the world of any kind of a family with any kind of addiction, you have had grief and you have had pain. We know this. Am I right? We know this. It, it's inescapable. It is a very painful family illness. So how do we take the hope and inspire others to look for solutions? Self-care, hugely important. Got to put your own oxygen mask on first. How do you do that? And it's, it's contrary. It, it, it's counterintuitive a lot of times as a parent. So I think that's why I, I, you know, I really um, want to continue having these conversations with you and invite people in to listen and send us questions so that we can kind of help guide that, um, the resources and the ways that people can do that and to provide those examples of people that we know. What, what gives you hope today, Christina? Uh, like you said, I think the most, I guess the most meaningful hope for me is watching you know, people get better. I think hope is, I agree with you. It's not just a belief. It's a, I think it's an action word. 
and watching people heal and come together. It's been really yeah, like a renewed, it's just given me a whole renewed, uh, I don't know, faith and hope and inspiration for change that people do persevere and they do come forward. Uh, I mean, come come through and get better. And that's been such an extraordinary thing to be a part of, to watch the redemption. I have a front row seat to watching people redeem themselves. And that has been an extraordinary way to spend a life. And through the pandemic, I feel like that's just tenfold, right? To watch people come in here and crawl and scrape and fight their way out. Mm-hmm. I do think hope is an action word. I do want to acknowledge also what you said about families. It's so counterintuitive to let go of the people that we love most, especially because sometimes they don't return. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's just, it's so counterintuitive. But anyway, that struck me because I say that all the time with intervention. It's, yeah. Well, it's and saying that it, it really day. is. And I know that through your intervention work, and through my advocacy work and my own personal experience around that is that um, there's a fine line. There's a fine line. There's a, it's like the butterfly, you hold it in your hand, right? If you hang on to it, it's gonna, you're gonna crush the wings, but if you allow it to make its own choice, then most people will choose if there's, I believe that recovery happens, not just in addiction recovery, but recovery of all kinds, because the trauma of life is what leads to a lot of times into that addiction. Addiction can be an underlying factor in families. It can be an underlying factor, but if you never start it, it doesn't kick in. It might show up in another way that you have to deal with in another way, but the trauma is the trigger usually. So the, um, the healing all the way around through COVID, through, reco- through addiction recovery, it has to come from within. I can't provide another person the willingness to have that shift in their identity from the addict to the recovered person. That has to come from within. And that's the choice that has to be free within that person. So, you know, I think that hope for me, I was just going to share a little bit on the hope for me. Hope is a very powerful ingredient. Hope, you want pain and hope. That's, you need pain and hope Mm -hmm. to recover. That's what needs to happen. I can't stay here anymore, but I don't know where to go. I need the hope gives me the direction of where to go. So that that's kind of where I see our society, um, our, in our, our smaller world of people in recovery, but we're living in a bigger world. That's also in a lot of pain right mm-hmm. now, really easy to use the excuses of the world, but that's always been true. You know, um, recovery movement came out of the foundations of uh, AA and that was pre that was during the depression. So they survived world wars, all of that. So there's no reason it's a decision. It is a decision. What's good. It's a question. What's good about this. What can I do? Where can I focus? Who can I ask for help? It's a decision and it's a decision to be willing to be willing until I get there. Mm -hmm. 
that that's really what it is. And I think that's going to be true for all the way around, but there's a lot of grief in the world. I love talking to you because I always feel lifted up and I know others do as well. So I'm super excited about our little uh, weekly series. Did you have, a question? did you have a question from one of your, one of your, oh, let me see. Let's see if we have any questions. People can write their questions in. They can either send them to Christina or to myself at uh, giving voice to recovery um, at gmail.com, or you can send it to Christina and uh, we'll get it on. We'll get your questions in for uh, the next week. We're going to be doing this weekly. So I'm super jazzed. I know it's going to be so great. I don't have any questions. I think it was, I didn't post it soon enough, but that'll be fun. I think that for listeners to ask questions anonymous or otherwise, but there's a lot of, yeah, like you said, a lot of questions out there, a lot of need for information. I families so often don't know where to go to get yeah. it or can't afford it. I mean, that's the other shameful thing in our country is yes. treatment and health is really expensive. Yeah. So um, it would be great to be able to provide that. So I've loved this and I'm looking forward to our, our time for sure. Absolutely. So, so thank you. So Coffee with Christina is the name of the new series. It'll be on Giving Voice to Recovery. It'll be on the podcast Giving Voice to Recovery channel, and it will be on the YouTube channel. So I hope you'll subscribe, join, follow us, hang out with us. And down in the bottom, we, and we drink coffee. So that's kind of like our little thing, because I don't know anyone who's gotten into recovery who, well, very few people, <laughs> they become like coffee connoisseurs. <laughs> the queen of the, the truth. <laughs> That's just so I didn't even start drinking. I didn't have my first latte till I was like 22 in recovery. So it's my favorite. It's, you know, and it's gone in and out of it's a bad habit. It's a good habit. I don't it, it enhances my life. There's no I'm so with you. I, mean, I love a good cup of coffee. Absolutely. I'm All right. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I'll see you next week. Yeah. Next week. And uh, yeah, send us your questions. I'll put the email uh, and all of Christina and my information down in the content below the video and in the podcast. So uh, send us your comments, questions, let us know what you think. And I'm just so happy to be getting this off the ground. Christina, I just love you dearly. You're just a pioneer out there. um, Thank you. Helping helping one, one at a time and helping people get their lives back. Thank you, Elizabeth. I have a lot of respect for you as well. So thank you for including me. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. All righty. Take care, my friend. All right. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.